guys are behaving well today. Hey, before we get rolling, I um, just want to notice the, the young lady running down the middle aisle there away from me. Uh, Vivian's in the house today. It's good to have her back in the She's visiting. And also, uh, we have uh, actually a, a young lady that was in our youth ministry in uh, North Carolina. Aurelia's there in the back. Said my Noah, awesome young lady, loves Jesus. Uh, she's up here trying to check out a college. And so... Um, Trying to feel if the Lord wants her to move to the great state of Maine. Amen. Amen. Come on. Come on. It's not winter. Come on. Yeah. All y'all aren't hollering that when there's five feet of snow outside. So. Way life. That's right. This. So when you live in vacation land, where do you go for vacation? Florida. There you go. Awesome. Let's pray and we'll get rolling because you guys are getting unruly. All right, here we go. Father, we thank you today for your word. God, we are a people that believe it wholeheartedly. God, we believe it from Genesis to Revelation. And, Lord, we just pray today, God, that as we open up our heart, Lord, we we just pray, God, that you would fill it, God, with revelation and truth. And so, Lord, today, just thank you for uh, just perspective. Thank you for identity. And uh, just thank you for who you've called us to be. Father, we pray today, uh, God, once again, that you would just help us to uh, dream greater, think bigger, and believe more than we've ever believed before in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're taking notes this morning, uh, the title of the message is simply Difference Maker. Difference Maker. This morning is going to be a little bit different because I want to speak to uh, an individual, but I really want to speak to the whole because we told you guys a few weeks ago that we wanted to honor our graduates. And so uh, we know in the back we have Noah Ziglag Thompson. His middle name isn't Ziglag, by the way. Y'all didn't know if y'all could laugh or not. And it was Andrew. Anyway, so and uh, we also had another young man, Gavin Powers, uh, who's graduated, but he couldn't be here today. So it's kind of twofold. I want to talk to that guy back there. I wish he was in spitting distance, but I want to preach to him. But I also want to tell everybody in the church something today that I feel like is from the Lord. So I just encourage you to open your heart up wide and just and just listen. Amen. Amen. So listen, most of us in this room have been where that young man is right now. Most of us have been there before. And what I mean by that is this, is that we know what it's like to stand on the verge of a threshold of a doorway in life. And we, you know, basically this this doorway or this threshold, what it represents is is really the closing of one season and the opening of the next you ever been there? It's the moment when we step out of the old and we enter into the new. It's that moment when we leave what's comfortable and familiar to really go into something that's unknown. And so, you know, the funny thing about life and thresholds and changes and all those things is uh, we never really ask for them, right? Life just has a way to bring them our way. And so on one side, when you're graduating like him or maybe it's changing a job or, or getting a new house or whatever it is, we all go through it. There, there, there's, there's something there that, that we get really excited about the, the new adventure side of it. But even though there's that excitement at the same time, uh, it can be a pretty scary thing, can't it? So, you know, it's kind of scary because questions come into our mind kind of like this. Will I make it? Do I have what it takes? Am I going to succeed or am I going to fail? Anybody ever wondered that one? Am I, am I heading in the right direction? Am I making the right decisions? And then there's that thing, you know, especially when you're a young guy like that, you're really going, oh, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Amen. I've met 40, 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds still saying the same thing. But listen, times of transitions, they leave us unsure and unsettled the majority of the time, don't they? So, listen, maybe we're on the other side and we have a really firm grasp of what we're supposed to do and where we're supposed to go. Uh, but the truth is, is really uh, none of us know what our tomorrows hold until we really just live and walk through them. Isn't that right? Amen. So, listen, I want to share a quote with you with that in mind today by a guy named Andy Andrews. He said this. He said, change is inevitable, so we might as well guide the direction in which we change. Change is inevitable, so we might as well guide the direction in which we change. Now, let me maybe say this real quick before I go into that. Um, what I'm learning personally is what used to work in a former season doesn't work in this season. I'm telling you, I'm learning this person that what used to satisfy me here is now just almost a small morsel, and it really doesn't sustain any amount of life here. 
Are you all with me today? So when we're reading this quote, change is inevitable, so we might as well guide the direction which we change. The reason I like that is because it speaks uh, not so much to the outward change. What I mean by that is the situation, the circumstances that life brings our way. But it speaks more to the inward change of personal growth, perspective, identity, purpose. It speaks to the inward change that is necessary if you and I are going to fulfill the will of God for our lives. Amen. Amen. So, listen, for the next few minutes, I just want to share a few thoughts with you uh, that are really about perspective, really about identity, uh, really about our purpose as we set out on the new leg of the journey. Let me maybe go ahead and just plug this in here. I think, honestly, yeah, I'm trying to talk in that guy, but really I think this is where we're at as a church. I think there's a new leg on the journey. There's something new that God wants to do, and we got to quit looking at what was in the door before, right? I mean, if we're grabbing that door handle, we got to put all that stuff behind us. we got to move forward because God has a purpose for us to go somewhere amen listen guys there's just a truth if we're going to affect um, if we're going to do bigger and better things for the kingdom we can't keep doing what we've always done yes and so listen we as the people if we call this home then we got to be willing to make some uh some shifts and to be willing to make some adjustments in our own hearts and our own lives if that's going to be done amen Amen. So listen, so today I want you to think about those words, perspective, identity, purpose. And my hope is, once again, that this would encourage and challenge you, I'm going to say it, to dream greater, because we need to. We need to think bigger, and we need to believe for more, because God hasn't called us to be like this. Amen. It's not that this is bad, but God's called us to other things. Yes? Amen. So let's start off today by reading a passage of Scripture from Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16. I want to read verses 41 through 50. It's kind of lengthy. Go get them, guys. Jesus be with them. All right. Numbers 16, 41 through 50. I'm reading the New Living Translation because it makes it a whole lot easier to understand. If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. It says this. It says, But the very next morning, the whole community of Israel began muttering, that they began complaining. Said that they began to complain again against Moses and his brother Aaron, saying, You have killed the Lord's people. You didn't expect this first, did you? Here we go. Says you have killed the Lord's people. Let me give you a quick background here, okay? If you back up in the chapter and you go from uh, verse one to verse forty, you'll find out that there was three guys. Uh, there was Korah, Dathan, and uh, Abiram, if I'm saying that right, and 250 other rebellious leaders that basically rose up against Moses, and they were and they were griping and complaining about his leadership. Honestly, what happened was is they wanted his position. Okay, and so uh, as they begin to grumble and complain, Moses began to pray, and the Lord said, "You know what, fella, I'll handle it." And uh, and so, make a really long story short, uh, God punished the rebellion by opening up the ground and and literally swallowing uh, Korah, Dathan, and uh, Abiram. Literally swallowed them up, and not only them, but also their wife and their children, all their belongings in the tents. And then the ground closed back like they just disappeared. And then the 250 guys that were trying to become uh, a greater level of the priesthood than what they were called to uh, fire fell and consumed all 250 of them and killed them all right big day big day all right here we go so it says uh in verse let's start over here but the very next morning the whole community of israel began muttering complaining again against moses and his brother saying you have killed the lord's people obviously they didn't and it says in verse 42 as the community gathered to protest uh, protest against Moses and Aaron, they turned toward the tabernacle and saw that the cloud had covered it and the glorious presence of the Lord appeared. First of all, I just want to say this. Clearly, these people aren't that bright. I don't know about you, but if the ground opens up and swallows my cousin, you know, I might keep my mouth shut the next day. I'm not the smartest, but I'm going to learn from their mistake, right? So, Anyway, so it says that the glorious presence of the Lord appeared. What that means is, is, is the literal uh, physical manifestations of God's presence appeared. And it's almost like I just see the Lord saying, all right, they're complaining again. Look, Moses, Aaron, don't worry about it. Uh, excuse me, I got this. I'll handle this. He's a big boy, right? This says in verse 43, it says, Moses and Aaron came and stood in front of the tabernacle. In other words, they stood in front of the people and says, And the Lord said to Moses, Get away from all these people so that I can instantly destroy them. Uh Uh-oh. All right. It says, But Moses and Aaron fell down to the ground. That's a sign of intercession. And then it says in verse 46, And Moses said to Aaron. Somebody say Aaron. Because that's who I want to talk about. Moses said to Aaron. I'll give you a few facts here. 
Aaron is the chief priest. God selected him. God chose him. God put him as the chief priest over the whole nation, okay? So you have to understand as the chief priest, uh, there were certain acts and certain things that only he could do. Now understand this. Out of several million, uh, several millions of people, he was the only guy that had the right from God to do what he was about to be asked to do. Are you with me today? So also a real funny fact here, just for fun, uh, Moses, I mean, sorry, Aaron is probably a little over 100 years old at this time. All right? If you're with me, say, oh, yeah, keep that in mind. Watch this. There's a reason. Verse 46 again. And Moses said to Aaron, quick. How many of you guys know being 100 years old and quick just don't go together, my man? You know, they don't work, right? So it says, quick. It says, take an incense burner and place burning coals on it from the altar. Lay incense on it and carry it out among the people to purify them and to make them right with the Lord. You understand what he's saying? In other words, go and make atonement for the people. In other words, go as the chief priest and go basically uh, get forgiveness for their rebellion, for their sin, for their complaining. And then it, and then it says right here, it says... Um, the Lord's anger is blazing against them, and the plague has already begun. So get the picture here. Here's Moses and Aaron. They're standing in their position in front of this, the nation of people, so a sea of people. And they literally see it in the back. They see people like dominoes start dying. Are you all with me? And then it says this. It says, um, Aaron did as Moses, verse 47, Aaron did as Moses told him, and he ran out among the people. Get the visual. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, once again, 100, quick. It's not working, right? So anyway, so the, guy, the guy's running, whatever that looks like, okay? Anyways, so he's running, and it says this. I love this verse. It says that the plague had already begun to strike uh, people down, but Aaron burned the incense and purified the people. In verse 48, it's our key verse. It says, he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague stopped. Come on, watch this. Understand this picture that literally they're standing in front. They see people start dropping. Here goes Aaron. Obviously, I'm joking with how he runs. Obviously, he had a little bit of wheels in him. I'm not sure. But he goes running through the crowd with this incense, and people are dying. And as they're dying, literally, it gets to where he's at, and it, and it stops. So everybody that's in front of him is dead, and everybody that's behind him is alive. He stood between the dead and the living. Are you with me? And then it goes on and it simply says this, verse 49, this is awesome. It says, but 14,700 people died in the plague. Maybe he wasn't that quick. All right, anyway, so but 14,700 people died in the plague in addition to those who had died in the affair involving Kor. Remember, that was the day before. And to verse 50, it says, then because the plague had stopped, Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the temple. All right. I read all that to say one thing. Here's the point, okay? Here's the point that I want to make. This passage of Scripture shows us that one man, that one woman can make a difference. Listen, if it wasn't for Aaron that day, the only fellow in the nation that could do that. Okay, so remember today, just kind of lodge it in your head, that God created you different than he created anybody else. And God has assigned tasks and, and literally giftings and abilities to you that no one else has and no one else can do. You understand that I, I look at Kyle and I go, you know, Kyle has a total different gift set. He reflects God in a total different way than I do. And, and he can do things in the kingdom that I'll never be able to do and vice versa. Go around the room. Are you with me? So here's this one guy that runs that runs and literally and saves an entire nation from being destroyed by the power of God. Are you with me today? So I want to repeat myself. One man, one woman can make a difference. In fact, here's kind of what I believe for us today. That, that if we grab a hold, listen, if we, if we do this, if we grab a hold the, the call of God and the plan of God, God wholeheartedly today, if we respond to that with all of our hearts, and if somehow we can make the decision to live out our God-given identity, then guess what, gang? It would be impossible. Somebody say impossible. It would be impossible for us to live this life without making a difference. If we, if we literally respond to God with all of our heart, grab a hold of the identity that God made us and live out of that instead of the pile of insecurities that we all carry and our weaknesses and all those things in our past and all that stuff that needs to be healed. But if we live from a position of being whole and well before the Lord, understand that we're called, anointed by God, that we're the light of the world, the salt of the world, all those things that he says, that we're his beloved, the righteous of God of Christ Jesus. You follow me? All those things, if we can live from that spot, then it would be impossible for us to live this life without making an impact, without having an effect, and without bringing distinct change in our region. Amen?
Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. See, the Bible gives us plenty of examples of individuals who made a difference, doesn't it? We have Abraham, we got Joshua and Caleb, we got Gideon, we got Samson, Ehud, he's the man, left-handed guy. Uh, and Deborah, we got Ruth, David, Esther, Daniel, I love Nehemiah. We have the prophets, the disciples, we got the Apostle Paul and Jesus Christ, obviously, right? Just to name a few, right? So the Bible is, is literally packed full of testimonies of normal people just like me and you who made a difference, Amen. Now, listen, some guys make a difference in positive ways and others make it in negative ways. Let me show you one verse, and we won't sit on this long, but Romans 5.19 says this. It says, for as by one man's disobedience. Somebody say one man. Come on, say it like you mean to say one man. For as by one man's disobedience, talking about Adam there, okay, Adam in the garden, from through one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. We know that Adam made a choice, and it literally uh, plunged the human race into basically being bored with the sin nature. Is that true? It's true. So watch this. And it says, so also by one man's obedience. Who's that talking about? It's talking about Jesus, all right? So through one man's obedience, many will be made righteous or right standing with God. So once again, I will say one man, one woman can make a difference. Amen. So watch this. Not only does the Bible gives us tons of examples, but all we have to do is take a step back and look at history. Because history gives us, a, a, you know, once again, a boatload of examples as well. Let me throw a few out there for you, and I'm going to miss maybe some of your favorites. But George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, we owe those guys something, right? <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, how about Churchill? How about Rosa Parks for making a stand? Mother Teresa, how about Martin Luther, Charles Finney, Charles Spurgeon, William Seymour? Uh, that's really why a lot of us walk the road we walk today because of that man. And, and we all know Billy Graham, right? Uh, even to throw out a, an awesome guy that even in my lifetime that I saw make probably the greatest impact is Ronald Reagan. Yeah? So watch this. The, the truth is, is there are so many people that we can label as difference makers. And, and here's, here's really the truth today. Some of those we know by name, but I am absolutely convinced there's going to be a whole lot more that we won't have the privilege to know their name until we get to heaven. Amen. But, but here's something about those people that, that literally belong on that list. People that uh, refuse to live in mediocrity and decide to step out and become something. Here, here's some things that are about them that, that's amazing. Because somewhere along the line, these guys made a decision to become the kind of person that no one else was willing to be. They were willing to sacrifice in ways others felt like it was unnecessary. They were willing to be committed to the path less traveled, and they were willing to stand for what was right when others refused and lacked the vision and the courage to do so. Are you with me today? That's what made those people great, and that's why God used them to change the course of history. One man, one woman, once again, can make a difference. Now, I think, honestly... Uh, you, you know, let me, let me maybe throw this out there. I rattled off some names. But the truth is, is we would not be where we're at today if it wasn't for those people, meaning, meaning enjoying the lives that we have. Is that true? So for the next couple minutes, though, I, I, I want to I kind of hone in and I want to focus on one individual because uh, I believe he embodied all those traits. And, and I want to show you how this, uh, this man with literally one event – uh, one act of courage, how literally he changed the course of history. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, buckle up. It's going to take me a minute to, to go through all this. I'm going, to, I'm going to read something, and it's probably more than I've ever read, uh, you know, in a time in a sermon. So I warned you. All right? So anyways, um, but to do this, I want to actually read something from a guy named Andy Andrews, probably one of my favorite authors. Uh, he has a book called The Butterfly Effect, and I want to, I want to read something from that. But he starts off uh, the portion of the book that I'm going to read with this question. And it says, should be up on the screen, it says, Did you know that there once existed a single man who, more than a century ago, I can't read, did you know that there once existed a single man who, more than a century ago, made one move that still dramatically affects how you live today? What a question, huh? And, and the reason, let, let me maybe pause here. The reason... Uh, I want to say this is because it's so easy just to live life and not to think greater than, than your spot that you're sitting in, in the air you're breathing, right? So, to, once again, perspective here, okay? Uh, he, he goes on and he begins to tell us uh, who this guy was. And so I'm just going to read it. It says, he was a 34-year-old school teacher 
But on the hot, humid day of July the 2nd, 1863, Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain was in the fight of his life. Does anybody know who that guy is? Every one of you, if you're from the state of Maine, you should know this. All right, here we go. A little test for you today. <laughs> so anyway, it says a former professor of rhetoric from, and I'm not sure if I'm going to say it right, Bodwin, Bodwin College. What y'all said. All right, here we go. All right, in Maine, and it says this, says, he was now a colonel in the Union or the Northern Army. It says, Chamberlain stood at the far left edge of a group of 80,000 men strung out in a line across fields and hills, stretching all the way to a little town called Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. We're talking about the Civil War. It says, earlier that day, a Colonel Vinson had placed Chamberlain and his men of the 20th of Maine at the end of that line, saying, whatever you do, you can't let them come through here. And it says Chamberlain couldn't withdraw, and he knew it. If the Confederate or the Southern Southern Army overran them, then the rebels would gain the high ground, and the Union Army would quickly be defeated. In essence, 80,000 men, once again, the Northern Army, uh, 80,000 men would be caught from behind on a downhill charge with no protection. It says to win, the gray-clad Confederates or Southern Army would have to come through Chamberlain. Do you get that? No pressure, right? So at 2.30 p.m., the first charge came from the 15th and 47th of Alabama regiments. We're going to forget that part. It says they attacked uphill, running as fast as they could and firing at Chamberlain's men who were stationed behind a rock wall that they had thrown up that very morning. Pause button really quick. Did you hear that? A rock wall that they threw up that morning. Only a mainer. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. All right. Blows my mind. All right, so. Man, look, from Alabama, we've been working on that thing, you know, two years. All right. So it says the, the 20th of Maine stopped the rebel charge and pushed them back down the slope, only to face a second and then a third charge. On the fourth assault, Chamberlain was knocked down by a bullet that hit him dead center in the belt buckle. Realizing that he wasn't seriously hurt, he scrambled to his feet, continuing to fight. And it says again they halted the enemy's charge, and again the rebels retreated down the hill. It says, as they waited for the next charge, Chamberlain felt sorry for his men. He later recalled this. I want you to remember this. This is what he said, talking about himself. He says, their leader had no real knowledge of warfare tactics. I was only a stubborn man, and that was my greatest advantage in this fight. I had deep within me, get this, the inability to do nothing. I had deep within me the inability to do nothing. Then Chamberlain continued, I knew I may die, but I also knew that I would not die with a bullet in my back. I would not die in retreat. I am at least like the Apostle Paul who wrote, this one thing I do, I press toward the mark. Amen. So the attack came again on this, the fifth charge, the 15th and 47th. Alabama broke open the wall and fighting raged on both sides. Without time to reload, the men were swinging their rifles at each other and brawling with fists and knives. Somehow, the 20th of Maine pushed the rebels down the hill another time. Now watch this. After the fifth broken charge where they came over the wall, Chamberlain's younger brother, Tom, appeared. And then it appeared with Sergeant Tozer, an old hard-nosed soldier. Tozer had a thick wad of his shirt uh, stuck into a hole in his shoulder where he had been shot. And he said this. This is what uh, Tozer said. He said, no help from the 83rd. They're shot to ribbons, and all they can do is extend the line a little bit. We're getting murdered on our flank. Can we extend, Chamberlain asked. There's nothing to extend, Tom, his brother answered. He said, more than half our men are down. And then it says it was true. Chamberlain's command had started in Bangor, Maine six months earlier with a thousand men. And they started that morning with 300 and now they were down to 80. Chamberlain asked, how are we for ammunition? His brother said, we've been shooting a lot. Chamberlain said, I know we've been shooting a lot. He said, I want to know how we're holding out. How much ammunition do we have left? As Tom ran to check, a 12-year-old lookout, 12-year-old boy, climbed a tree and he yelled, they're forming up again, Colonel. Chamberlain looked up to see the boy pointing down the hill. They're forming up right now and they're being reinforced. Sir, there's a lot more of them this time. In fact, there was a a regiment from Texas that joined uh, the two regiments from Alabama. And then it says this, at that moment, a messenger stumbled into their midst, out of breath. He said this, sir, Colonel Chamberlain, sir, Colonel Vincent is dead. Remember, Colonel Vincent's the guy that basically put him in that spot that day and said, don't move. So that guy's dead. And then he says this, uh, Chamberlain said, are you sure, soldier? The guy gasped and he said, he was shot right at the first of the fight. They were firmed up by Weed's brigade, but now Weed's is dead. They moved and Hazlitt's battery up top. They moved Hazlitt's battery up top. Hazlitt's dead too. Pretty dire, right? 
So in other words, all the leadership was getting killed. And then it says, Chamberlain's brother Tom came running back. Remember, he told him to go check out the ammunition. Joshua said, we're out of ammunition. One, two rounds per man at most. Some of the men don't have anything at all. Chamberlain turned to a thin man standing on his right. It was First Sergeant Ellis Spear. Spear, he ordered, tell the boys to take the ammunition from the wounded and the dead. We did that last time, sir, Spear replied. Maybe we should think about pulling out. I love this. Chamberlain responded grimly, we will not be pulling out, Sergeant. Carry out my orders, please. Colonel Sergeant Tozer, the other guy, spoke up. We won't hold them again, sir. You know we won't. At that moment, Tom, once again his brother screamed, Joshua, here they come, here they come. Chamberlain stepped to the top of the wall that they put up that morning, right? (laughs) Chamberlain stepped to the top of the wall in full view, crossing his arms and staring down at the advancing enemy. You don't do that in war, by the way. Joshua's brother said, do something, give an order. Chamberlain stood there for a moment, deep in thought, quickly sorting the situation. We can't retreat, he thought. We can't stay here. Then he said this, when I'm faced with the choice of doing nothing or doing something, I will always choose to act. Go, Jesus. He turned his back on the advancing rebels, looked down at his men and said, fix bayonets. At first, no one moved. They just stared at him with their mouths open. Fix your bayonets now, he commanded again. Execute a great right will of the entire regiment. Swing the left first. Do it now. One of the lieutenants spoke first. I love this. In the military, you will so get this. One of the lieutenants spoke first. Sir, he asked, what is a great right will? But the colonel had already jumped from the wall and was moving to the next group of men. A sergeant, once again, you'll notice, Sergeant Tozer answered the question. He means to charge, son. A great right will is an all-out charge. It says, then turning, the colonel pointed his sword directly down the hill, facing overwhelming odds. Chamberlain slashed his blade through the air, and with a power born of courage and fear, the schoolteacher from Maine roared, charge, 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 to his men. Says the remaining 80 fighting men lifted their voices to match that of their leader. Charge, charge, they cried, tumbling over the wall into a history about which most people in our country have never heard. Says, for when the Confederate troops, watch this, for when the Confederate troops saw Chamberlain mount the wall, they immediately stopped, unsure as to what was happening. And when the colonel pointed his sword toward them and commanded his men to charge, they turned and ran. It says, many threw down their loaded weapons. In less than five minutes, Chamberlain had his sword on the collarbone of a Confederate captain. That's so embarrassing, by the way. You know, as an Alabamian. Uh, in less than five minutes, Chamberlain had his sword on the collarbone of a Confederate captain. You, sir, are my prisoner, he stated. The man turned around a fully loaded Navy Colt revolver and offered it to Chamberlain. Yes, sir, he said, I am. Within five more minutes, the ragged group of 80 men under Chamberlain's command without want to accomplish through me. And the reason is I think that we're afraid to ask that question is because it will require something of us. Amen. It will require us to get out of our comfort zones. But we need to ask ourselves today, what does God want to accomplish through me? See, it's my opinion that our disconnect isn't in questions like, what can God do? It's not in, you know, you know once again, it's, it, that's without question. We know God can do whatever he wants to do, right? right? And I don't think the question that we wrestle with is, what can God do through someone else? I think we look at people and we think that some reason they're, they're special and God's doing something through them. But I think the part where the disconnect is really happening with us is we all wrestle with, what can God do through me? What can he do through me? Can I be a difference maker? And and you see, here's the deal. The first one there, the first train of thought has to deal with faith. And what I mean by that is, is once again, it's it's a can God and will God do the impossible? We all go, yes, he can. Right. The second one has to deal with identity because it's can God and will God do the impossible through me? And I'm here to tell you today, and I'm saying this as your pastor, but I think it's more than just me. Our identity needs to catch up with our assignment. Amen. Because our identity, basically from our identity, our faith in God, that should be flowing through us. And let me kind of give you an example of this. We all know God can bring peace to an atmosphere. But the question is, can God bring peace to an atmosphere through me? Right. 
We know that God can heal broken bodies, but do we believe that we can lay hands on someone and pray and that healing will come through us and heal the person? You know, do we believe that literally that God can bring hope and life to a region? We all know that, but can he bring it through us? The answer is yes. Listen, I go, okay, this guy can go to work and he can lead someone to the Lord, but can I do it? Can I have enough courage to open my mouth and be an ambassador for the kingdom of God and allow someone to be, you know, have the opportunity to hear the truth and get saved? Are you all with me today? You know, it's easy to look at certain people and go, well, you know, they can be spiritual fathers and mothers. They can disciple a generation. They can, you know, minister and fix broken marriages. It's another thing when you stop and you look and go, but I believe God can do that through me. Are you all with me today? See, the truth is Jesus didn't die just so he could get heaven, get us to heaven. Let me rewrite. Jesus didn't just die so he could get us to heaven. He died so he could get heaven inside of us and ultimately through us. Do you get that? That the reason for the cross wasn't just to say, okay, guys, let's go to heaven. Woo! But he wanted to deposit something inside of us, not so we could just kind of hold and go occasionally give somebody a prophetic word and go, oh, wow, that's awesome. There's something about power that he wants to literally make us a channel of it to come through to bring change. Amen? Are you all with me today? So here's the key, though, that I want to tell you today, and we're going to see if we can land this thing in the next few minutes. But before we can make a difference, we need to realize that we are different. Before we can make a difference, we need to realize that we are different. Now, here's what I mean is we aren't different because we have a different set of morals. I've met some amazing unsaved people that got great morals. True. Here, I'm just going to say really what I want to say. I've met unbelievers with better morals than some Christians that I've met. All right. That's truth, unfortunately. So here's the thing, though. We are different because we have a different spirit that lives inside of us. That's what makes us different. Yes. See, the Bible tells us in a handful of scriptures here, and I'm going to go fast. In Romans 8:10, Galatians 2:20, Colossians 1:17, it simply says Christ lives in us. Ephesians 3.17 says, Christ made his home in our hearts through faith. Romans 8.11 says, and I'm going fast. If you need the verse, uh, references later, I'll give them to you. Romans 8.11 says, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. Can somebody say in us? John 14.23 says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Some great verses, yes? So here's the truth, guys. We are of a different spirit because of who lives inside of us. And because we have a different spirit and we are of a different spirit, we have the ability to be difference makers. Yes? It, you know, here's, here's what I, I really hope that we would just all start believing. Is that once again, all those people that we celebrate, that we would stop for men. I know I've told you this before, but we would stop and go, the same spirit that lives inside of them lives inside of me. Yes, somewhere along the look, look, he didn't change himself and go, well, it's a new day. The devil's bigger and harder. So I'm going to somehow shrink my power. No, he's still the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he dwells inside of us. And if we could just grab a hold of the fact that where I go, he goes. And if I'm willing to stop and position myself and make room, then guess what's going to happen? He's going to move through me, and he is going to uh, bring change and difference wherever he wants to, just like he did with them. Amen? So let's take this a step further. First John 3.8 says this. Love this verse. It says, for this purpose, the Son of God, Jesus, was manifested or revealed that he might destroy, destroy the works of the devil, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So let me uh, ask you real quick, where does Jesus live? We just said it. Somebody say in us. Guess what? He is still wanting to destroy the works of the devil through who? Through us. Amen. So real quick, just a little interaction sake, just for fun. Throw out at me. What do you think the works of the devil are? Come on, talk to me. Discouragement, lies. Come on, talk to me. Depression. Anger. Those are good. Fear. All those things. Let me throw a few in there. How about confusion? How about sickness? How about poverty? Right. How about strife? Anything involving we could do it. All those were great answers. But though anything was stealing, killing, destroying. So my next question is this. 
is did Jesus defeat all of that? Did he defeat all of that through the cross? Yes, he did. Watch this. Then it looks like we are working from a position of victory and not defeat. Do you get that? That we are working from a position, we are operating, we were living from a position of victory, not defeat. And the reason I'm saying that is because we need, we need to quit striving for what we already have. Right? If I have a million dollars in my pocket, I don't say, I've got to go make a million dollars for tomorrow. I just use what I got. Right? The victory is inside of us because he is the victor and he, he dwells within us. So we need to just let him out. Amen? All right, so let's, let's land this. Let me give you a few points. Hit your blinker. We're going right turn here really fast. Um, I personally believe that, that all difference makers have a few things in common. And I wish we had a few more hours here, but, but I'm going to give you four, okay? Just four. All right. Difference makers have a few things in common. Number one, I think all you guys would agree with this because they're real. Number one is they all feel unqualified. They all feel unqualified. They all feel unqualified for the task or the responsibility at hand. Listen, I've spent a great amount of time uh, reading books about people who have changed this world, and not a one of them uh, stepped to the plate in arrogance and said, I got this. Not one of them. Every one of them responded with, oh, I hope I can do this. Because somewhere, somewhere, somehow they took a personal inventory, we all do that, of ourselves, and they didn't feel smart enough, talented enough to get the job done. They didn't know if they had what it took to basically to succeed in the endeavor that was at hand. But I want you to know today, and this, I want to encourage you in this, I still believe that God is looking for people, looking for men and women who are willing to, to, to depend on him. He's looking for it. You know, there's got to be something inside of us. Um, I've kind of said to you before, but I'll say it again. There's got to be something inside of us that we believe God's given us that's bigger than us. And what I mean by that is this, is that we know in and of ourselves and our own abilities, we can't get the job done. That, that literally, that there should be something that we're so passionate about that we know that if God doesn't show up, that there's no way it can change. Are you all following me today? And, and, and let me maybe say this, and I'll be bold, okay? But, but if there's nothing, if your dream, if your dream, if your vision of what you're going for, if you think you can do it on your own, it probably isn't from God. Okay? Because God never gives us something that uh, we can do in our own power because he wants the glory. Amen? Amen. That's good preaching, Pastor. I know it. <laughs> Listen, I'm telling you, when we say I can't, because we've all said it, God always responds, I know, but I can. I can do it through you. See, there's that thing, and I, you know, people pull it out of context, but that scripture in Philippians 4.13, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That doesn't mean if you're a midget, you can dunk a basketball, all right? It, 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 just, it, just, means, it just means that when God's called you to do something, if you lock into him, you can get it done, right? Amen. So, you know, in fact, I, I think we would all... Uh, be really encouraged if we would stop and read the Bible and realize that God has a habit of calling the unqualified. He has a habit of it. He always calls the unqualified. In fact, you know, if you're taking notes there, just write down uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting verse 26, and you'll know that you're in really good company. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Another verse says this, and I'm going to move fast here, but the Bible says that in our weakness, his power is made perfect, Right? That, that literally, it's like God thrives on those moments. And it's almost like, if I can put it this way, it's like the, the little boy that had the fish and the few loaves. In the hands of Jesus, get this, y'all. If you don't get anything today, get this. In the hands of Jesus, our little is enough. In the hands of Jesus, our little is enough. Because God has the ability to take our ordinary and turn it into something extraordinary. Has the ability to take what we think is insignificant and make it significant in the kingdom. Is that true? So, number one, they all feel unqualified. Number two is they have a cause. They all have a cause. They have something, a purpose that motivates them to action. Now, let me kind of say something maybe in a unique angle. If you're here today and you go, I don't know what my cause is, okay, because we've all been there in life. Not throwing rocks at anybody. We've all been there. But if you're in that spot, you need to stop and you need to look deep inside your heart and you ask yourself, get this, what bugs me the most? What bugs me the most? What, what, what is the one thing or the things that I cannot stand? All right? And I'm not talking about, you know, whatever, fleshly things. I'm talking about the, the, just what is it that you can't stand? What are you passionate about above all else? 
most of the time, that's where we find our God-given purpose or our God-given cause. Are you following me? It's, it's this idea. Let me maybe say it a different way. Have you ever thought, why am I seeing that and nobody else does? It's because God is showing it to you because he wants you to do something about it. Because why? Because it fits in with your assignment, not the other person's. I've I've spent much, much time sitting in an office uh, as a pastor talking to people who are mad about what other people aren't doing. It's You know, you always got people in the church that got great ideas for everybody else. That's a great place to say amen. So, but, but the thing is, is what they don't realize is what, what's burning inside of them is really what God's called them to do. And once again, but they, it requires sacrifice and it requires making a commitment and decision. And sometimes that's too difficult for people, so they want to, why don't everybody else do it? Another day. All right. Thanks, babe. All right. All right, here we go. So let me, let me maybe throw an idea out for you, just so example's sake. If you if you sit there daily and you go, man, I, it just it just grips my heart, man. I weep and cry over people that are starving. Well, maybe God's called you to do something to feed them. Are you with me? If there's something in your heart that that's just so gripped by broken marriages, then maybe God wants you to do something about it. Uh, you, you know, whatever. Maybe it's something that every time you you walk in Walmart or you go in Shaw's or whatever Hannaford's and and you see somebody that's sick and it's very obvious that they're sick and something just inside of you, then God probably wants you to do something about it. Amen? It, it, listen, if, if, you, if you go pray and you're grieved over people being lost, that they don't know Jesus, then he probably wants you to do something. So stop getting mad at everybody else. Right? And just go do it. Because, because once again, their burden is different than yours. Are you all following me today? All right. So number one is, once again, repeat it, they feel unqualified. Number two, they have a cause. Number three, they have the inability inside of them to do nothing. Going back to Joshua Chamber, they have the inability inside of them to do nothing. See, the truth is, is most difference makers didn't set out to change the world. They just didn't have the ability to accept things the way they were. Are you all hearing me today? And because of their conviction, when the opportunity arose, they didn't wilt in fear, but they stood in the gap with courage, right? They stood in the gap with courage, and they met that challenge head on. And that's really the only way giants are slain, y'all. You can't run from them. You've got to face them. Amen? So write this down if you're taking notes. You cannot improve the future without disturbing the present. You cannot improve the future without disturbing the present. See, there's something inside of you, once again, when, when there's that inability to do nothing, you can't sit there and just go, well, let it be for let it be. You've got to do something. Number four, and the last one, their direction comes from the Lord. They, all these guys have this in common. Their direction comes from the Lord. Let me give you an example, and I love this. Uh, wave your hand at me if you've ever heard a guy named George Washington Carver. All right. For you guys that didn't wave your hand, uh, think about it next time you eat peanut butter. All right, here we go. Anybody love peanut butter? Man, come on, somebody. With some chocolate? Woo! Glory. We're going to get some of that in heaven. All right, here we go. Were you calling me chunky? Oh, peanut butter chunky. Okay, I thought you was calling names. Hey, look, I'm trying to lose a little weight. All right, I am. Truth. Truth. Here we go. Anyways, George Washington Carver. All right. So in this guy's day, the South uh, one, uh, was a one-crop economy, and that crop was cotton. So the problem was that cotton was planted so much in the same soil that the soil virtually it, it died. So Carver, who was a man of God, he not only saw the problem, but he also saw the poverty that was coming upon the region uh, of the South. Okay, And so he decided to do something because, once again, all world changers, uh, all difference makers have inside of them the ability to do nothing. So what he did was is he started going into his lab, and, he, and I love what he called his lab. He called it God's Little Workshop. And what he would do is he would go in there, and he would take a handful of peanuts, and he would say this, Great Creator, why did you make the peanut? This is true, y'all. Why did you make the peanut? And he said in his lab that God would show him how to take apart the peanut. And what did he do? He just listened to God's directions. And, and what happened was is he discovered 266 ways to use the peanut that we still use today. So watch this. Owen discovered that with peanuts. He also discovered 88 ways uh, to use the sweet potato that we still use today. Once again, just a man going in there and saying, God, you created this. Show me something. 
And God began to open up his eyes. He literally started every day that way. And watch this. Just because he listened to God's voice, because he got his direction from God, God used him to change the economical status of a whole region. Because not only were they poor, they didn't have any food. Are you following me? So he fed a region of people by what God showed him, and then obviously provided a new crop for them to get money. Once again, let me maybe just write this, uh, say this. You can write this down. But difference makers co-labor with God. How simple is that? Difference makers co-labor with God. And there's that side. Let me maybe throw this out at you, and i got to get done. It's the side that's this. It's time for us to quit doing what we want to do and asking God to bless that. We do that so much. We we go, I'm going to do what I want to do, but God, I ask you to bless it. Instead of going, God, what do you want me to do? And let me move where he's blessing. Y'all hear what I'm saying today? We need to do that. We need to grab his heart, his passion, his desire, not just keep him asking him to bless ours. It is good. Let's stand to our feet really quick. I'm going to read a quote for you. Um, Hang in there with me. We're not quite done. Don't check out. Hanging in there. Hanging in there. All right, here we go. George Washington Carver said this. I love this because it, it didn't come from a man that was just cute and great with words. It came with a man who lived it. I've read it to you before, but this is one of my favorite quotes on the planet because it challenges me, challenges me to the core. It says this. It says, no individual has any right to come into the world and go out of it without leaving behind him distinct and legitimate reasons for having passed through it. So I'm going to ask you today, what's your reason for passing through? What's your reason? See, the, the question today for us isn't, can you make a difference? You were, you were born, you were created in the image of God. The Spirit of God is in you to make a difference. So the question isn't, can you? The question is, is how will you make a difference? That's the thing we've got to grab a hold of today. How has God chosen you to make a difference? Amen? Wish we had time. I'd love to lay hands and pray for every one of you. Have some fun. Got out here about four o'clock. You're hilarious. So let's just do this. Um, let's position our hearts. Let's make our seat an altar. And let's just pray. And I'm going to pray for you. But I'm going to ask you not to just sit and just let somebody pray for you. I'm going to ask you to even pray for yourself and ask God to speak to you of how will you make a difference. Because you've been created for it. You were born for such a time as this. God planted you here, this region, for a purpose. Amen? Your job, you're not there by accident. Right? Your neighbors, you're not there by accident. You can, find, you can just go read it in, in Acts 17:26. It says that he determined the day you'd be born, the time you'd live, and the boundaries, meaning the geographical location you'd live. So it's God's heart that you would make a difference. So let's just pray. Father, I thank you, God, for every person in this room. God, I thank you that you've created them, you've fashioned them. God, you've put talents and abilities within them. God, you've given them your spirit. You've given them a spirit of wisdom. God, you've given them discernment. Uh, God, you have literally baptized them in the Holy Ghost. God, you've endued them with power. God, there's so many things that you have done. Even what we read earlier, God, you've given them every spiritual blessing. Why? Not so they can sit on it, but so they can make a difference. And so, God, I'm praying today, God, for these people. God, as their leader, I pray today. God, that you would open up their hearts, God, and you would speak to them loud and clear and to show them, once again, not if they can make a difference, but how they will make it. Father, I thank you for the dream. I thank you for the vision. I thank you for the plan and the purpose, God, that you've established and planted, God, in every one of their hearts. And, Father, I pray, God, that they would have the courage, God, to to literally uh, commit and to pay the sacrifice and be willing to become uh, who others aren't willing to be, God, so they can accomplish that that you've called them to be. So, Holy Ghost today, God, give us new eyes to see, give us new ears to hear, new, uh, literally new heart to feel and to know. God, we pray today, God, that which grieves your heart would grieve our heart. God, that we would begin to see, God, that you've anointed us, God, to co-labor with you to destroy the works of the enemy. And so, Father, uh, we just pray today that we wouldn't sit on the sideline, God, that we wouldn't retreat, but, God, that there would be a fixed bayonets in charge, God, inside of our hearts. And, Father, we thank you today, God, that
that once again, that greater is he that is in us than he is in this world. God, we thank you today, God, that the enemy is not as strong as what one would think because you're with us, God. You are with us. You are with us. You're in us. And God, we thank you today, God, that where we go, you go. We don't go alone. And God, just as your word says there in Joshua, every place that the sole of our feet touch, God, we claim it for the king. God, it's your ground. It's your land. God, your word says, God, that your people, your land, literally your your word says, God, that your glory would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And so, Lord, we're just asking today, God, that your glory would fill our lives, God, that your glory would fill our lives in such a way that everywhere we go, God, that that glory would spill out on every person we meet. And, God, we pray that your glory would fill this region and fill this land. God, we desperately need you. We desperately need you. God, would you come and show yourself strong through us, God, to these people. And so, Lord, call us off the sideline. Call us off the bench. Tell us it's time to get in the game. It's time to go to work. It's time to go to work. Father, in fact, you said, God, to to occupy or work until you come. God, we grab a hold of that plow, God, and we don't look back. But, God, we know that we got somewhere to go. God, teach us what to do in Jesus' name. And, Father, I'm asking today, God, for every person. God, I pray that you would connect their hearts with other people who dream and believe like them. And, Father, I pray, God, that they would gain strength and, and literally accountability, God, and encouragement from each other, God, so they can do the work that you called them to do. God, send people, God, their way to have like passions, uh, like purposes, God, so they can team up together and to work for your glory, for your kingdom. And, Father, we pray today, God, as a church, God, as a church, God, we realize that we're in a threshold, that you want to do something new, that you want to do something new in our day, God. And so, Father, help us, God, to step through that threshold with courage. Help us step through it with boldness and not try to look and, and get satisfied of things that are of old. But, God, let us have ears to hear what you are doing now in this moment, this season. God, we ask today, God, as a local body, God, what do you want celebration life to do? What do you want us to be? Who do you want us to be? Father, thank you for fresh vision. Thank you for pouring it in our heart, God, and, and literally just setting our gaze, God, to where you want us to go. Father, we believe today, God, and we have faith for it, God, today. We have faith for it today. We have faith for it today. Father, thank you for shoring up our identity in you. God, thank you for your perspective being inside of us. God, thank you for that, God, today. Thank you for fresh oil, fresh oil, fresh oil. God, deeper walks with you. Father, thank you for hunger and passion. God, for your namesake, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Fun. Um, Stay standing, please. Yeah. Um, Noah, come on up.